Greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. We are today in lesson 82. And let's go to uh, the book of John, chapter 17, and verse 11. In this chapter, we read about the last prayers of Jesus Christ to his Father, the God of all of Israel, the God of the universe, and the one in whose name he came and whose word he spoke and his commandments he taught to his people. And he was not teaching any new religion. And he was not coming up with any new religion of his own, doing away with the so-called the old religion, as some who are unlearned, that came later on, having no knowledge, no understanding, began to preach that, that the God of Israel in the old times was the Father, and some in our midst, unfortunately, are here that believe that lie also, that is the direct God of Israel, that came down to Mount Sinai and married Israel, and gave them the law, so they say, well, that was the Father, and Christ came to do away with that religion, and he's our God, and we are the one, uh, we are worshipping him and the Jews, they can worship the Father. And, you know, and stick around uh, uh, and obey his law, the old law that he gave them. But for us, we have a New Testament religion, we have a New Testament church, we have a New Testament uh, theology, and that's basically what they were saying. But in contrast to that, Christ made it very plain. He didn't come to speak his own words, he didn't come to teach his own commandments, he didn't come to seek his own glory, he didn't come to establish his own new religion. He didn't come to establish Christianity, and he didn't come to establish a new group that is going to call by his name, and give it the name of Christianity, and call all them Christians, and they should all be called by his name. Though he is a direct husband of this uh, group, which is not uh, an end in itself, a small group, they're just a part, a small part, they're just sprinklings, they're just the first fruits of the entirety of the Church of Israel which he's going to build gradually until he finishes the job at the end, not only of the millennium when he comes, but in the second resurrection, when all of Israel shall be saved, all those who ever lived, and all of them are going to be part of that marriage that will take place at his coming. And then a thousand years later, all those who are going to be resurrected, and all those who died in between, they're all going to be in that marriage also, just like it happened with ancient Israel where well, the ceremony took place in Mount Sinai, which was about 3,500 years ago, but every successive generation that was born became a part of that marriage. And some people don't understand that. They compare it to the human marriage, and, and they don't get the point. You can go uh, just that far with an analogy, and then it breaks down, and that's exactly what they've done. They went too far, and so they reached extreme conclusions, which didn't make sense at all. That's why they could never understand what it means what the marriage of the Lamb is all about, and that it is a continuous process, just as the first one was. And so here, before he's departing, he's telling to his own disciples, who are children of Israel, who are part of that church of Israel, that he came to give his life for in specific, and then for the entirety of the whole earth also. And he's speaking to the Father on their behalf, and all those who will come later on are the children of Israel, and the others that the Father is going to grasp, and give to Jesus Christ, and bring them also into the fold of the commonwealth of Israel, in which case they will no longer be Gentiles anymore, that is, all the nations, but they will become, just like in the days of old, a part of the, of the commonwealth of Israel. And when they do, as in the days of old, God said, when they join you, those strangers, and they become a part of you, one law, one doctrine, one church, one truth, one light, shall be you know, to you and to the strangers. In other words, there is no more separation. So this is not a new concept. 
where the separation has been taken away between the Jews and the Gentiles, I was from the beginning of time. When the strangers became a part of Israel, they became Israelites. And they had the same law. And they had to abide by the same law or suffer the consequences. And so it is today for the spiritual Israel and the spiritual nations who are going to become also part of Israel and therefore becoming spiritual Israel. They couldn't become physical Israel, but they could become spiritual Israel. At this time anyway, in the past they could become physical Israelites just by the mere fact that they got circumcised and joined the commonwealth of Israel. And so he's telling, he's, he's, uh, in essence, what he's praying, the disciples are listening. They didn't go somewhere else to pray, they all heard him. And this is what he's saying to the Father in the last prayer. And so we read in uh, chapter 17 and verse 11, where he's speaking specific about, about his own people, about his own church, the church of Israel, and the name that he gave them. He says in verse 11, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. These children of Israel, my disciples, they are in the world. That's the context. Speaking about members of his church, the church of Israel that he married in Sinai, and now these are becoming members of the spiritual Israel, who are still Israelites. And he says, so I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name, not my name. It is to keep through my name, so they will be called by my name, Christians, and therefore Christianity, and Christendom, and Christology, and all those terminologies that came later on by the counterfeit church. He said, keep through your name. Because in the days of old also they were, after the name of God, the God that sent him to them. And so he says again, nothing has changed. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. So the children of Israel in the old days were the children of God, children of Elohim, the children of the Most High, and the angel of the Lord, and the servant of the Lord, and the second being that was sent from the Father to give them the law, and to deal with them personally, and to make them a people, not only for himself, but for the Father, and to marry them, and to prepare them for the future, when God will come down and dwell in their midst, in the heaven in Jerusalem. And that's what Father Abraham was looking forward to. When the El Elyon, the Most High, the one that became known as the Father, will come down and dwell with the direct God of Israel, that became known as the Lamb is the Savior, is Jesus Christ, in heaven in Jerusalem. And the city with the twelve gates will be named after the twelve tribes of Jacob, grandson of Abraham. So there was continuity there of understanding. But the unlearned did not understand that. And so this is what he's saying very plainly. You keep these people, children of Israel, members of the bride, which is going to marry at his coming, and then all those who will be resurrected later on will be joining this marriage because it's a relationship that he's talking about not the physical marriage that we had which is a, 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 in essence a different concept but has similarities to the spiritual marriage after all we cannot compare physical with spiritual all the way just you know there is a partial 
analogy there. And then at a certain point it breaks down. And so he says, you keep them in your name. You could have said you keep them in my name. So they can be called by my name. So it's going to be my religion. He says, no, you keep them by your name. And he is the Father. And he is Elohim. And in the modern English, later on, it became God. And so we become the Church of God. And yet, since we are also belonging to Christ, we also call, we can all also be called the Church of Christ. But always understand what it means. We're first and foremost children of the Father, the El Elyon, Elohim, O God. And then also, He who gave us to Jesus Christ, also the Church of Christ. But our main name and terminology to be called by is the Church of God. And that's exactly what the disciples in the succeeding uh, decades call the people of God. The Church of God. They didn't call them the Church of Christ. They could have, because we belong to Christ too. But understanding the whole concept that we are from the Father first, who makes us His sons and His daughters, and He begets us by His Spirit, His Holy Spirit, so that He may become His sons, just like the one that He was with Him and came to this flesh and became His son. And so we are to be called first and foremost by the name of the Father. And obey the law of the Father. The law that He gave to His people from the beginning of time. From the Garden of Eden. And the Medic uh, Code of Behavior for an entire nation that He gave to His Son. He gave the bride to His Son and so He's going to do it again. And the Father retains the preeminence. And so Christ doesn't take it to Himself. He directed everyone, when you pray, you say, Our Heavenly Father. He could have said, when you pray, say, Our Heavenly Christ. He didn't. He didn't dishonor His Father as many of us do. So many of us were into the real Jesus religion. Yes, Jesus is our direct deity, our husband, the one we should worship with all of our being and heart. But when we make it a Jesus religion, we forget what Jesus Christ said. We are to be named according to the name of the Father, and to pray to the Father, and to worship the Father, and to obey the commandments of the Father. And He's the ultimate in our life. And Christ is secondary in our life, not the preeminent, not the first and the foremost. And many of us, without even realizing, we're blaspheming to the name of the Father. When we put Him aside as a P.S., and we have a Jesus religion. And so we're going from one extreme to the other. And we have to remember the way Christ presented to us. First we come to the Father, and then we pray in the name of Christ. And we pray to both. We speak to both, as the disciples did all the time until the end of their days. But we do not give the preeminence to the second in command, so to speak, and forgetting about the first and the foremost. And that's exactly what the false religion had done. That's why they call themselves Christianity. They don't call themselves the Church of God because they're unlearned. And that's what he's making it very plain. He says, keep through your name. Not my name. Those whom you have given to me, that they may be one as we are one. And that was made very plain. And then 12, verse 12, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. I didn't tell them, hey, from now on you're going to follow me, and you're going to call yourself by my name, and my name is Christ, and you're all going to be Christians now. 
And I want you to call yourself by that name. He didn't say that. He didn't dishonor his father. Take him to the preeminence to himself. He said, while I was in this world, he always directed his disciples to the father, not to himself. Though he was the master, though he was going to be the bridegroom to marry them. Yet he honored the father all the time who had the preeminence over him. And he told them very plainly, my father is greater than I am. And when people spend more time in the Jesus mode, so to speak, they're making Christ greater than the Father, and that's blasphemy. And Christ would not have any of that. We must worship the Father and the Son, and obey both, but we must remember the preeminence, and the one who is in the center of all of our attention. And it is to him that we bring all of our petitions in the name of his Son, and we can speak to his son directly too. Because that too was done. Just like his disciples while he was on, the, on this earth. They spoken directly to him. And then when he departed, they still continued to speak directly to him. But it's not because they put aside the father. They understood the priority. And they understood by whose name they are being called. And who had begotten them to be his sons and his daughters. And that was the father. That's what he's saying here. While I was with them, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And so he kept them again as they were in the days of old, as Adat Elohim, the body of witnesses of the Most High, the one that Abraham worshipped. And Abraham worshipped also the one that came from him. Because well, both of them were eternal. But he always knew who came from whom. And Christ never came to take the preeminence over his father and then sort of uh, throw off his rule and come up with a new religion, a new law, a new commandment. He didn't do that. Many have done it later on because of their uh, ignorance and unlearned spirit to their own destruction. And so we must learn the same way. And so God continues here, still in the flesh, before he goes back to his father and becomes again the divine being that he was before, the God of Israel, the eternal of Israel, the Jehovah of Israel. He makes it very plain. Even in those days in Mount Sinai, though he came and married us, we still were, even at that time, the people of the Most High God, of the Father. And so the priority always remained there from the beginning of time until now. And the ones among the children of Israel, like Moses and Aaron and others, who had the Spirit of God, and before that the fathers, and before that the patriarchs, they understood that. They understood the worship of the two divine beings, and they understood that one is above all. It was not new knowledge. And the majority did not. And so now Christ comes to reveal it to the entirety of the nation. And unfortunately... Only a minority of them accepted it, while the majority, because they had been misled later on, though not at the time, by the leaders, they went back to their old ignorance where they could have come to the Father. The road was open to them, that's what he told them. The kingdom is at hand. Repent and be baptized. The door was open to them. The Spirit will tell them later on. This promise was given to you, speaking about Israel, Adat Israel, the body of witnesses of Israel, the church of God, 
In modern terminology, though the word church does not convey that at all, but I'm using that because that's the word that we use, but we must understand what it really means or else becomes meaningless. Speaking about the body of witnesses, and this is what he told them. You still belong to the Father as you did in the past, and I am the one in between. And through me you must come to the Father. And that's what he told them, that's what he taught them, that's what they did. But we belong to the Father first and foremost, and our name is to be called by the name of the Father, and Christ made it very plain, and people reject the words of Christ. And all over the place you see people, even in our midst, the majority of us, we call ourselves Christians, and there is nothing wrong by saying that we are followers of Christ, because we are. But we forget that we are to be called after the name of the Father, because that's exactly what he said. We are the church of God, we are the people of God, we are Adat El, we are the body of witnesses of the Most High God. And the message was very plain. And so it was not Adat Christianity, or Adat Christ, Church of Christ, ultimately speaking, it is the church of God. And the apostles made it very plain as they addressed the church of God, the church of Elohim, the church of the Most High, and also the people of Christ, because we were given to Christ. But just because the Father gave us to Christ, it doesn't mean that He gave us away. He says, you are not mine anymore. That's not what it means. And so we find this simple truth that was mixed up and confused as time went by, and now we take it for granted because of 2,000 years of deception, and we say, we are Christianity, we are members of Christianity, and we talk about Christianity, and authentic Christianity, and true Christianity, you see, and we take it for granted. And that's why God said, you come out of Babylon, you're, you're too much into Babylon, and it's terminology, and that confuses you, and you become drunk, and you get mixed up. And that's the reason why there are so, in, uh, so many in our midst, who are so much into the Jesus movement. You go to services... And you hear that most of the songs are the things all about Christ. We should worship Christ with all of our being and heart and honoring and praising. But we should remember who has the preeminence. And to whom we should sing the most. And then to the Lamb. To the King of Kings who is above all. And to his Son who is also King of Kings on this earth. And that's why Christ made it very plain. At the end of the story, when the Father puts all his enemies under his foot, then he's going to turn the kingdom back to the Father, the reign to the Father. He's going, going to come down on this earth, and he's sending the Son to prepare the earth for his coming, so that the Father may be all and in all, above all things. And Christ, our immediate divine deity, Jehovah, our God, in that sense, and he turns the reign to the Father and becomes subject to him. And those who do not understand the simple basics get mixed up. And it's very easy for them to be mixed up and to go back into the false religion and believe the theology of the false religion. And that's what happened to the church in the past 2,000 years. when they began to forget the basics. They went back and were integrated again with the counterfeit churches out of which they came. That's why we don't have a continuity as we should. And let's go now to chapter 19. 
in verse 36, we read about the crucifixion of Christ. And here we read in verse 36, For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. It's always linking the writings now that are given by Christ, dictated later on by his disciples, as it was later on by Moses, of things that happened in the past, to be preserved. And he's linking both the entirety of the scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation. They're all scriptures. They're not Old Testament and New Testament. Now, there was an old covenant means an old marriage covenant. There's a difference between an old covenant, which means an old marriage covenant, and the entirety of the writings of the Torah, of the Psalms, of the prophets, of the writings. That's not Old Testament. That's not Old Covenant. Those are the oracles of God, the scriptures. And when people lump them together, the marriage covenant with all the scriptures that were before and after, and make them all covenant, it's because of the sinister intent to separate the religion that the Father gave to Israel through his Son, who was known as the God of Israel, because he's the one that dealt with them directly, and I want to make it an old religion so we don't have to obey it. That was the intent behind it. So you cannot call, in essence, when you understand it, you cannot call Genesis Old Testament. To begin with, there was not even a marriage there of Israel. How can you call it Old Testament when Testament is speaking about the marriage that happened later on in Exodus, chapter 20? How can you call anything in between Old Testament in terms of the body of writing because uh, the Old Testament and Old Covenant refers only to the marriage itself. And now, the covenant that went with it, of laws, and statutes, and judgments, and precepts, God said, and made it very plain, those are forever. That's why Moses told him that. The end of days. He didn't give them a figure of time, but if he did, he would have said, 3,500 years down the road, when God brings you back out of captivity, in this very day, you are going to come back and to obey the statutes and judgments and precepts and testimonies and ordinances which I gave you today. They're just as relevant then as they are today. And that was the intent of the counterfeit church, to separate the two and to deceive people. And many of us are deceived to this very day because of that. That's why God tells us, come out of Babylon. If you had to be the people of Israel, the church of God. He has one law, and that law is not done away with. And when Christ came on this earth, he made it very plain. He says, hey, don't look that I came to destroy the, the Torah, the entire body of teachings that I gave you. And he's referring to the Torah, not only the first five books of Moses, because when he, when he spoke to the disciples about him being the son of God, the deity, he says, doesn't it say in your law, in your Torah, and he's speaking about Psalms 82 and verse 6, so the entirety of the body of teachings but God gave Israel is in that category of the Torah. That's what he's telling them. He says, don't think that I came to do away with that. I came to fulfill, to magnify, to make it even more binding, to make it more understandable, to reveal the spirit of the, and the intent of, of the Torah, far beyond what it was understood in terms of the letter of the law. And so this is what he's referring to. Always linking the entirety of the scriptures. And his ministry could not have happened without an understanding of all the scriptures that came before that. 
And so he says, for these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled, not one of his bones shall be broken. And speaking of the fact that when they pierced him, he was already dead. And so there was no need to break his legs to speed up the process of death. As we read in verse 34, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And then in verse 37, and again another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. And what is he talking about? When he comes back to his own people, which he had never rejected because of the people of Israel, the people of the covenants, the people of the oracles and the promises, and specifically speaking about the people of Judah, and of course that includes the entirety of the house of Israel, but they are the ones who are there in the land, and for that matter, you know, it's only... Uh, a small portion of the Jews not a small portion, a growing portion but still the, uh, a measure of uh, the community is there and the rest of the Jews are all around the world there are more Jews in this country than they are in Israel so he's speaking about that part which includes the entirety of the house of Israel and it says when he comes back to them they are going to remember that they have pierced him whether they've done it directly, the Romans did it, but they were responsible for it. And all of humanity is responsible for it. And nobody can say the Jews killed him because all of us killed him. Every single one of us who had sinned. But he's referring to that because God is linking it with the future when he comes back to them. And again another scripture, verse 37 again, says, They shall look on him whom they pierced. And at that time when they do, they're not going to reject it anymore, but acknowledge it and realize that he was the direct divine deity, eternal, the rock, the savior, the messiah, all put together. And he's playing all these roles. And they're going to submit to him and worship him and worship the father who sent him. And so again, he's speaking to his own church because he's coming back to his own. And that is totally contrary to what the false church has taught. Well, you rejected Christ, you rejected you, you go to hell, we are the true church now, and we are the only ones who have a relationship with him. Well, Christ made it very plain. No, that's not the way it is. I'm coming back to my own. And he made the statement, long before that, 500 years earlier in the days of uh, Zechariah, that God is going to save the tents of Judah first. And you don't save people who are supposedly in hell. Plus, that does not even exist. And never will. So there is going to be a lake of fire, but that's not the hell, the concept that both communities, so-called Christianity and Judaism, have it. Which is a false pagan doctrine, which they got from Egypt and Babylon. And so he's coming to his own, he's coming to his church, he's coming to the church of God, he's coming to Israel. He never rejected them. And so the lies being told to this very day. God put down Israel. God says, no, I didn't put down Israel. They're my people. I'm coming back to them. I'm going to save them first. Tell them, you know, people are going to wake up when that time happens. And realize that he never rejected his people. On one hand, they understand it. On the other hand, you know, they still speak uh, from uh, the point of view of the old theology out of which they came. And that's not wisdom. Let's go now to the book of Acts, in chapter 1, where we read the continuation of the story. And here again, 
the people of God, children of Israel, and the majority of the story here is again constantly with the children of Israel, and that's what the new the the, the group that now had the spirit so were not a separate group. They all continue to go to the temple and to the synagogue. The Jews never regarded them as a separate group. And for centuries later, when they were not being persecuted in the synagogue, uh, they continued to go to the synagogue. And the historians of the counterfeit church recorded that very plainly. And we have records of that. Well, they said that all those people that were called the Nazarenes, who were the servants of Jesus Christ, the follower of uh, Jesus of Nazareth, they all were exactly like the Jews. They worshipped, they said, in the same exact manner, just like the Jews, with the exception that they believed in Christ. So even the counterfeit church recognized that. Israel remained Israel, the commonwealth of Israel, and that's what the church was all about. And then also the, the grafted wild olives uh, of, the, of the nations, which were the minority, not the majority. But it was in the best interest of the counterfeit church to hide that truth and to give the impression that the church was a Gentile church in composition. And God totally forgot about his people Israel, which was a big lie and continues to this very day to the point that even the children of Israel themselves believe that they are Gentiles and members of the true church. When that is not the case, well, some of us have got called and revealed the truth to us, opened our eyes, made us realize and understand that we are the children of Israel. That is very plain. That God never forsook his people Israel, and Israel was always the church. It's just the majority of them still are not responding. But then God is not intending to cause all of them to respond until he sets his hand to deliver all of them at the final captivity. And out of that, Israel shall come and be the people of God, and God is going to make a new covenant, a new marriage covenant, that's what it means, a new marriage covenant, just like the old one, with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. That's the church of God, and God made it very plain, and the scriptures are very plain, and there was no reason for any of us to be deceived about it, and yet when you drink, you get drunk, and then you can't see straight anymore, and that's what happened to us. We're drinking from the waters of Babylon, the, the wine of the wrath of the fornications of the great whore, and the harlots, and Babylon. And so we're mixed up in our theology. We don't know what we are. That's why we've got problems. We don't understand many things. Well, how come there isn't much about government in the New Testament? And how come there isn't much about the law in the New Testament? Why should there be? It's one book. That doesn't have to repeat himself again and again and again. And so, God tells us, you come out of Babylon, you begin to see things straight and right, and you understand them. And they wouldn't say, well, that was for the old religion. We don't have to do it because we are a New Testament church. Well, those are the very lies of the counterfeit church. We must make a choice. You want to be of God or the wrong God? And so in chapter 1 of the book of Acts, the story continues. In verse 3 we read, To whom? He also presented himself, Luke is writing that, speaking about Christ, alive after his suffering, by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And the disciples who knew better understood it only in one way, 
the kingdom that was in Israel that is returning to Israel. That was only understanding. And so in verse 6, this is what they asked him. After they were taught by him directly about all the kingdom of God, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and his return, and the resurrection of David and all of Israel, who were spiritual, but he raised all this time, and all the fathers and the saints from the days of old. And he's going to gather all the tribes of Israel, bring them back to the land. He's going to appoint the disciples over all the tribes of Israel, because that's the church. That's what they were talking about. And so they asked him in verse 6, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, that was the last question. If you have the last question to ask Christ before he goes back to heaven, what would you ask him? This is what they asked. So they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So what do you mean God put down Israel and picked up the church? When Israel is the church. You see how ignorant we are? How deceived? How far away from the truth have we strayed? And yet we claim to be people who are knowledgeable, who have the book before us, and we are the church of God, the people of God. That's what the disciples taught us. That's what the prophets taught us. That's what Moses taught us. That's what God taught us, the Father. And that's what Christ taught us, who came from the Father. There was never any other teaching, any other church, any other group. And they were so deceived to this very day. And we can't see it clearly because we're drunk. Drunk people sometimes don't even know that they're drunk. And so this is what they ask me. When will you restore the kingdom to Israel? It's not a kingdom. That's on verse 8. This is what he told them. In essence, verse 7, he told them, well, don't worry about it now. And he said to them, is it not, it is not for you to know times or season. He was not about to, to discourage them by telling them, well, forget all about it. It's going to happen 2,000 years down the road. You know what happens to people when you tell them that? Well, he just said it in a vague way. It's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father. You see, the preeminence always goes to the Father. He is the head of the church. And he puts Christ to be the direct head over the body. But the Father is the head of Christ. And Christ is the head of the church. The head of men. And so this is what he says. It's up to the Father. He's going to decide when. And of course he knew roughly 2,000 years down the road. He just didn't know the exact moment. And so he says, not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. He's the only one that makes that decision. So he is the head of the religion. It's not Christianity. It's the church of God. It's the religion of God. The religion of the Most High. And we are to worship the Father through His Son. And come to the Father through His Son. And worship both the Father and the Son. But remember the preeminence always. And it's not a Jesus religion. It's not Christianity. It's the church of God. Religion of the Father which obviously the Son shares exactly, and that's what they are one. They are one in, in intent, in doctrine, in faith, in knowledge, in understanding, in hopes and dreams, in character, in personality, many ways. You see, total unity there. That's what makes them one. Just like a choir, all sing with one voice. What do you mean one voice? When there is a choir made of dozens of people, what do you mean one voice? All sing in unity, that's what it means. 
And this is what people don't understand about the deity of God, the Father and the one that became the Son. But the mere fact that they, all that they do is in unison makes him one. That's why he made it very plain in his last prayer. That when he takes us under his wings, so to speak, the Father, and we become one with him and one with Christ, then the three of us, the Father and the Son and the Church and his people, become one. That's the Trinity. Would three become one? Not the false Trinity that a false religion came up with, inspired by the devil. And so this is what he's telling them. It's not for you to know. The Father is the one that determines because he's the head. He's the El Elyon. He's the ultimate authority. And it's his law that we obey. And the law that he gave to his son. And his son said, I think I'm do my own thing. I came to obey the commandments of my father to fulfill his commandments. And he did it. And he taught us to do likewise. He didn't teach us any Jesus religion. And yet we should worship the son. And honor him. And glorify him. And praise him. Because he's our direct husband. But the father is above all. The preeminence. So in verse 8 we read, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. It comes from the Father. To beget us to become his sons and daughters. When are the sons and daughters of Christ? Who are the sons? We're going to be the sons and daughters of the Father. Before that we dealt only directly with Christ. And we became, or we were like his sons and daughters. He was our direct deity. That's why one of his titles is also the everlasting Father. Because he created us. And in that sense, we are also his children. But he has created us by the orders of the Father. And so the Father is the ultimate Father. And people don't understand that either because those things are spiritually discerned. And human beings who think like human, carnal, they don't comprehend it. And so being unlearned in spiritual matters, they are wrestling with these scriptures to their own destruction. They come, out and come up with their own doctrines to this very day. In our own means. People of God. Confusion. In our midst. And so it says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. You see? Because that's what you are. Adat El. Body of witnesses. Nothing new under the sun. It's not a new concept. That's your very name. That's what he gave them when he made them his people, a nation in Egypt. And this was done after the sacrifice that they offered. The sacrifice of the Lamb. And just like now. After his sacrifice. Now he rose after the sacrifice and he made them his people. And that's what he's telling them. The two witnesses as they always used to be because they're the witnesses of God. They're the we, not Adat El. That's, that's what later on became known as the Church of God. But the apostles did not use the word church. They didn't speak English. They always referred to the church, to the people, so to speak. I'm using modern terminology and understand what I mean. They always referred to Adat El. That's how they called the entirety of the body of these believers, which was not the entirety of it, just sprinklings of it, just first roots, every generation, until the end of time. When Christ is coming back, the Savior, the God of Israel, the Eternal, sent from the Father again, and he's going to deliver all of his people, Israel, from all the nations of the earth. He's going to gather them and bring them back to his land, because they are and were and were supposed to be, though they did not always fulfill their purpose, 
as they haven't done it in the past, or they haven't done it in the past 2,000 years, with the exception of the few of them that do it, they're always Adat El, the witnesses of God. And that's what he's telling them. You shall be witnesses to me. And this is what he told Israel. You're Adat El, that means you're witnesses of me. And here he tells them you're going to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, primary place. Why? Because that's where the church of God is, Adat El is. And in all Judea, why? Because that's where the children of Israel are. That's what the church is all about, Adat El. Anywhere else in Samaria, because that's where they were. And to the end of the earth, wherever they are. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about now you go save the whole world. That's not the time. It's only the coming of Christ that is going to set his hand first again to deliver his people Israel from all the, all the nations of the earth, take them to himself, make them the wife again, marry them, all of Israel, some of whom are going to be spirit beings, they will be in the best resurrection, the first resurrection, but the majority are still physical human beings and still his, his people, his wife, his bride, but physical, and they are going to be witnesses. Something they haven't fulfilled as they should, but God had it all figured out. The timing was up to him. Just because they haven't done it all this time, it doesn't mean that they failed. Some people say, well, Israel failed. No, Israel didn't fail. They haven't even started doing their job. You don't, you don't fail when you, you haven't even started. And so when God makes a new covenant with them, they're going to be the witnesses they were supposed to. And so he sends them to all the world because Israel is now everywhere. But once he brings all of Israel back to their land, they're not going to have to go all around the world anymore. He's going to make the whole world come to them. And the prophecies are very plain the way God is going to do it. There isn't going to be any missionary activity on the part of Israel. There is no need for it. Representatives of all the nations of the earth are going to come to, to, to keep the feast in Israel are going to come to Jerusalem where representatives of all the tribes of Israel are going to be their teachers. You see? And that's the way it was meant to be. As in the days of old, all the nations of the earth, like Queen of Sheba and many others, they came to the land of Israel. And that's what Moses told them. If you obey the laws of God, this is going to be your wisdom. And then all the nations of the earth will come and see and say, what a wonderful and wise nation it is that has such laws that have God that came down to them. So the missionary activity was necessary because Israel was now dispersed. Not because God wanted them to go to every nation on the face of the earth and convert, you know, every nation on the face of the earth. He wanted to go to the children of Israel because they were dispersed. And among them there were nations of the earth also. That means non-Israelites. And God was calling among them too, few. Not many. The many were Israelites. The majority were Israelites. And because we do not understand properly as we should who and what is the true church of God, we do not even understand the manner of the commission and the theology behind it. And we're confused to this very day. And we think that God now forgot all about Israel, so to speak, as a church, and he has a New Testament church. He put down Israel, picked up the church, which is made now for all the nations of the earth. That's not what God was doing. And so when he was calling even uh, all the Gentiles, and removing the, the, the partition between them and the Jews, where now there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, what he meant by that is when he's calling those, those uh, few of them, he's going to make them one, just like he did in the past. One law to all of them. 
That's not a new teaching. In the old days, there was no partition once they became circumcised and became Israelites. That's what he's talking about. And those who have no background don't know what they are reading. And they don't comprehend the statements they are reading. And they come up with their own theology and their own doctrines. And that's what he's telling them. They're going to be witnesses to meet in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the whole earth. Because Israel is now everywhere. And so as he told them earlier, in chapter 10 of the of, uh, Matthew, go you into all the tribes of Israel, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And at the end of the book, go you into all the world. Because Israel was everywhere. That's what he's talking about. And then the few among them that God is going to call among the nations, they too are going to be converted. And so Peter went to the circumcision. That was his commission, and all the tri- and all the disciples. And then later on, he called Paul to go to the to the other nations. Also, I mean, to bring some of the Gentiles also into the into the fold, into the commonwealth of Israel. And now we continue in. Uh, let's go to chapter two, book of Acts. Where now the church, that is members of it, of the Adat El, of the children of Israel, are coming to the temple on the day of Pentecost. Just like all the other Jews, they all came on the same day. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, that means in the morning, you see, Pentecost begins the evening before that, and when it's fully come, it's when you go there in the morning. We're right, you know, it's an idiom. Uh, so you would know it's not in the beginning of the day, but in the morning when they came there to the temple. So when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And you're talking here about the people of God, Adat Israel, the spiritual among them now who are going to receive the Holy Spirit, and all the physical Israelites who were among them. So you see the church there. The entirety of the church is in the temple, so to speak. Uh, and some of them are spiritual, and the rest are not. But well, we're going to stop at this point. This is again Mordecai Joseph saying greetings to all of God's people. Until next time. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has 